Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hello and how is it going? And today we're talking about Beetlejuice. My wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, 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 sure. go ahead, shoot. Well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? This is an American spooky fantasy family comedy. Directed by Tim Burton. The cast includes Birdman, Jack Donaghy, Thelma, the mayor of Halloween Town, Principal Rooney, Joyce Byers, and Kate McAllister. I watched this movie on Amazon Prime Video. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on Amazon Prime Video. I was considering, because I, I wanted to purchase this one digitally, and I looked, I shopped around, I looked at YouTube, and I looked at Amazon Prime. It is the same price, but I purchased it on Amazon Prime because I found out about Twitch watch parties where if you mm. link your twitch account with your amazon Prime, you can watch amazon prime videos together live and cool. i think this would be a cool one or maybe something else something to keep an eye on uh for the future of affable chat live stream uh just a nice little plug mm. there twitch.tv slash affable chat joey why don't you give us the synopsis of beetlejuice a ghoulish pervert tries to marry a kid. Yes, that's exactly what <laughs> happens in Beetlejuice. Let's start it off with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Beetlejuice? This is such an inventive, engaging, and fun movie. Full of great characters that are really brought to, the life, really brought to life in this truly imaginative world. And the special effects look great. Tons of detail, and it's all so lovingly crafted. It's awesome. What about you? What did you like about Beetlejuice? I totally agree with all that stuff. This movie has a fantastic cast. Like, I actually really like the ones we included at the top of this episode. But, like, seriously, uh, I I knew Michael Keaton was in it, but I did not know um, that we were going to have that Jack Alec Donaghan. Baldwin yeah. looked like that? <laughs> Alec Baldwin, young Alec Baldwin, literally Thelma, you know? Like, it was just... Um, it was a, and then we had the mom from Home Alone, like all this stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. It was really nice to see these actors, um, you know, that I recognized. Uh, I also thought, yeah, I mean, super inventive premise, exploring the afterlife and kind of making up the rules and uh, seeing how all that works and, and uh, you know, kind of exploring that from the perspective of the ghosts instead of uh, seeing it from the perspective of the living. Oh, it's, yeah. It's spooky without being too scary, which is perfect for me. Um, you know, I like movies that are fun and funny. In Beetlejuice, it's funny. <laughs> it's really funny. It's engaging without getting too caught up in itself. This movie is a lean hour and 33 minutes. Yes. And it, like, there's definitely more it could. It could have gone deeper and made this uh, easily a two hour long movie but it, it showed great restraint in not doing that it got in there did what it needed to do and got out um tim burton is this is exactly the type of movie you want tim burton to be directing this movie is full of tim burton movie magic i agree with you that the special effects still look great almost all of them still look amazing right now um and then it like there's great stop motion in here as well i'm a big fan of the medium uh stop motion 
And Michael Keaton is just having the time of his life as Beetlejuice, and I really enjoy that. Oh, my God. Yes. Cannot say enough good things about Michael Keaton in this movie. All right. Incredible. What about cons, Joey? What did you not like about Beetlejuice? I think the plot gets kind of tangled near the end. It's like, what's happening? And there's like six different things that happen all like one right after another to the point where your your head's just spinning. Um, and uh, I, like I'm not I'm not sure what the solution to this problem is. Is there too much Beetlejuice? Is there not enough Beetlejuice? I don't know. But we'll get into that later. Yes, I I, I think that's definitely something we should dive into. I. My one problem with this, and I, and again, this is something we can discuss. I'm not sure if it's really a problem, but I would have liked to know exactly why it was so important that the living didn't know about the afterlife. They kind of say that, that like everything hinges on that, and it's kind of dire that they prevent that, but they don't say why. And maybe we don't need to know why, but um, you know, maybe it's implied. But uh, I would have liked. I felt like they stopped short of explaining that and also i wish that the way that he defeated beetlejuice had been a little more clever like i know that they had set up earlier that beetlejuice hates sandworms but why is barbara <laughs> able to ride one i you hate sandworms i hate sandworms look <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, exactly. It's not even that good of a setup. So, um, I, as as you know, as satisfying as the mo- end of this movie is, I wish that the way that they had defeated Beetlejuice had been a little more clever. It's obviously a Dune reference that she's riding a sandworm at the end. Clearly, movie sure. greatly inspired by Frank Herbert's epic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Those are our pros and our cons. Let's move on to the more general uh, conversation in our overall section. Joey, take it away. Beetlejuice is a story about a haunted house from the ghost's perspective. I think that that premise alone is charming and interesting enough to sell this movie. But this movie is way more than just that. As recently deceased people, our heroes, Adam and Barbara, played by Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, discover a wacky world full of new rules, new priorities, and crazy characters. And one of those characters is Beetlejuice. Although you kind of see glimpses of him throughout the movie, he really doesn't take make an appearance until about halfway through. And he's such a wild card that it would be almost irresponsible for you to let him out earlier, lest he completely steal the show. And so the real star of Beetlejuice is the world of the dead that Tim Burton brings to life. See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> as, as with any situation dealing with unfathomable amounts of people, the only responsible system is a bureaucratic one. So it's not elegant, it's not effect- efficient, but it works. And enough people kill themselves to keep their staff members uh, steady. This is from uh, Otho. He says that uh, when you, if you kill yourself, you become a uh, civil servant in the afterlife. Oh, yeah. So. And it, that was re- a really <laughs> funny theme to have inside, oh, of, yeah. uh, inside of that bureaucracy because you could kind of tell all the ways that people had done it, too. Uh, you had the, the guy who'd been, who j- clearly jumped in front of a car and got flattened. Yes. Which is amazing. <laughs> the, the receptionist who had slit her wrists. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Juno, who had clearly slit her throat. Yes. Uh, so I loved the effect that they had when she was smoking and it was coming out of her oh neck. Oh my gosh. I didn't notice that until late on. And then I was like, she's smoking like a chimney. And then I noticed that it was coming out of her <laughs> neck. And that was awesome. What a, uh, yeah, it's really cool. So the world, like the world building, I want to give a lot of credit to Tim Burton for bringing it to life. But you also have to give credit to the people who originally wrote this movie Michael McDowell and Warren Scarin. Uh, Michael McDowell was the first visionary and his idea of Beetlejuice was very different and very dark. Um, but they kind of brought it into a more lighthearted feel that you see in the movie. Um, and Tim Burton like took what he had created as a world and then 
like built on top of that basically. And I think Beetlejuice, the movie, is world-class world building. It starts really gradually, and when it starts, it finally immerses you. It just feels great. It feels so wide and so deep. You could spend an entire movie exploring the different aspects of the world. If they And if they ever made a sequel, they have plenty to play with. That's what uh, the, the creators of John Wick, I remember them uh, on some interviews saying, like, when, you're, when you're making a sequel, you have a couple different options. One of them is like, go bigger. Um, one of the, but one of the options is go deeper. So just make the world that much more rich and, and explain stuff even more fully. And I think, of course, this, this, this whole world building is all in service of the story, which I think is great. The story is, is largely character driven. I think the amount of time they spend in the world of the dead and how much they explain is absolutely perfect. It is exactly as much as you need to know without ruining the magic of it. You know, there's still lots of stuff you don't understand. Like you said earlier, why, why is it so important the living don't know about the dead? How is it actually possible that they've been able to keep that secret for so long, actually? <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> like... Or, like, uh, why can't they leave their house? Yeah, or like, yeah. What like, even is the sand dunes full? And what are the sand snakes? Right, right, right. And, like, what happens when you get exercise? Like, you go to the Lost Souls room, but, like, it seems unpleasant, but, like, what exactly happens to you? Yeah, it's just, there's a lot of questions in there. But it's not really important that they answer them, I don't think, because it gives you enough of a backdrop for you to understand what's going on. And that's what I really, that's what I like. Like, it, it does enough of the world building to draw you in, but not so much that it distracts from the story it's trying to tell. And like you said earlier, it's really tight, you know, hour and 30 minutes, basically. You're not, it's not overstaying its welcome. It's not uh, spending all this time building up this thing that's not going to exist, like in all these uh, movies that try to make cinematic universes in one movie, right? Like it's <laughs> like, oh, okay, we got this fun world we're going to play with. You know, it, it's it's way more contained, um, and that makes the world feel so much more imaginative and so much more real. Um, so likewise, Beetlejuice, the character, is similar. His potential is just barely scratched. Unfortunately, he is the one that feels kind of out of place here. It's not so much that he doesn't belong in this world. He is he is definitely part of it. He's another dimension of horror, like a, a dreadful waiting room or an endless desert filled with worms. But he is such a strong personality and so much larger than this movie that it almost eclipses the methodic pacing of the human drama playing out with Adam and Barbara. Don't get me wrong. Beetlejuice is incredible. Michael Keaton is amazing. In so many of his roles, in Michael Keaton's roles, his insanity is restrained, just seeping out in key moments. But Beetlejuice is just pure id. He is balls to the walls, unpredictable and insane. Pure chaos in a green wig. And it takes almost no time for Keaton to establish this. You put Beetlejuice in only half the movie, you give him only a couple of chances to really exercise his powers, and he overpowers everything all the time. Anyway. <laughs> It's, it, he's so much bigger than this movie. And I think that is a testament to the directing and the commitment from, Ke from Keaton. But that leads to the question, which is why wasn't this movie about Beetlejuice? It's called Beetlejuice. He is certainly a sort of the sort of anti-hero you love to hate to root for, right? So why do we spend so much time with Adam and Barbara and the relatable, sympathetic story? Why have Beetlejuice invade so suddenly and cause so much havoc, not just to their lives, but to the story as a whole? Because at, at the end, you really start to see the seams start to come undone. The climax of the movie is so hectic. It, you move from one crisis to another so quickly. 
you can't like grab hold of any of the stakes. First, the Dietzes are trying to impress their investor. Then Otho is trying to summon our ghostly heroes. Then they're being exercised. Then Lydia frees Beetlejuice. Then he saves the day. Then he and Lydia are about to get married. Then Barbara shows up doing her best Paul Atreides impression. It's all a bit much. But to this point, you, you thought you understood the stakes and the characters. Like you thought you understood what was going on. Dietzes have to leave. The uh, the Maitlands are going to stay in the house, right? We've got to get them out of here. But when the Dietzes and Otho almost kill the ghosts, they act horrified. It's, I guess it's a pretty intense moment, but how does that like lead to the truce you see at the end of the movie? I don't know. And all of that is like, again, eclipsed by Beetlejuice just entering, barging in and doing his own thing that's like completely tangent to whatever storyline we've been following this whole movie. You know, suddenly yeah. it's like, it's important that he gets married. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not I sure. feel like the rules of Beetlejuice, another thing that are just kind of thrown out there and said this is how it is you know just like right. why of all dead things is his name the one that has the rule of threes also that you can undo it by just saying it again yeah you know, yeah it's, yeah it's fun it's a good uh you know dynamic but no explanation there's like a there's a roots of consistency there you know mm -hmm. that could be Definitely, there definitely is like this rule of threes in this movie as well. There's like the number three pops up in a lot of places. Like for instance, when they draw the door, they have to knock three times before it turns into like this magic door that takes them to the uh, bureaucrat office. Right. Uh, so there's definitely consistency there. It all feels. It's one of those things where it's like you don't have to think about it that hard. It just yeah. is. Uh, but you know, if you try to think about, it, especially at the end of the movie, it does bring up a lot of questions. Well, the whole thing, like. I was trying to think about how it made me feel. And like, cause I was, as I was watching it, I was totally entranced, you know, not just because I was trying to figure out what was going on, but just, I just felt so caught up in it. It's very dreamlike, which I think like people have made comparisons between movies and dreams before and how like you can get caught up in a dream, even though it doesn't make any sense. Yes. And this movie definitely does that. Like yes. it gets, it, especially at the end where everything starts to fall apart, it really does feel like a dream. Um, and I don't know if that's really a bad thing. It, it does leave you wanting more. I'm appreciative. Like I'm, I'm. I appreciate that it stuck to the human story, and I would love to see more of the world of the dead. I love the like unrestrained imagination and the detail that Tim Burton brought, and I think that's really captivating. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. Um, like <laughs> the thing is, I've known about Beetlejuice basically my whole life. I remember having the Beetlejuice DVD in my like family's collection and it was one of those dvds where like i didn't like looking at the cover because it scared me <laughs> and at, now that i've seen it i'm asking myself why did i wait so long to see this movie i love it so much like my biggest issue and this is clear if you've listened to the podcast for a long time like my biggest issue with horror like with the genre personally is that it's scary <laughs> which is duh right like most of my life being a chicken has kept me away from anything in the realm of spookiness most things in the realm of spookiness but i still have morbid curiosity i think we all do and thanks to doing this podcast i have dived deeper into the creepy and unsettling and now i know there are plenty of movies that deliver on spooky elements without scarring you for life uh you know which is i guess what i'm afraid of right uh, and I think Beetlejuice is exactly that type of movie. It's perfect for Halloween. You get to spend time with the undead and this, then this, I mean, people who are cut in half and the, you know, some bunch of skeletons and, and ghouls and demons, but it's <laughs> fun. It genuinely is fun. 
And um, I just think that there's there's definitely a place for that. And there's definitely more people who are like me who are too scared and, and are missing out on a really good time. So I, I really think it's great that you can like this movie's not even classified as horror, you know, and the fact that there's a headless guy on the front, I think maybe oversold that aspect of it, despite there being actual scary parts like this movie has jump scares. Uh, I was especially horrified when Barbara ripped her own face off and her eyes popped out. Oh yeah, that was that crazy. That was such a good effect. I I was I I like kind of screamed by myself watching this movie. Um, and and you know this movie has that, which I think is good. Um, you know you want that in something, especially when it's Tim Burton getting to decide how it's done. Uh, but it doesn't go over the top. It's not the overwhelming feeling you take away from this movie. So I, I think it's really well done. And it's it's perfectly lands in the Halloween movies for scaredy cats uh, mm. like me. And um, another thing I really like is they do a good job of making the dead look fun and whimsical without endorsing death. Okay, Endorsing death? What does that mean? Which, going overboard with, I don't know, maybe endorsing the idea of dying. And I think that they touch on this with uh, refuting uh lydia's like want for being dead where she says Mm. she wants to join the dead and barbara says being dead doesn't make things any easier which i think is a little oversimplified you know i don't know if that would really be that convincing and it's a little bit too easy to shift her perspective going back um it it is a little bit on the nose no pun intended for that scene where alec baldwin (laughs) has to put his nose back to normal but i do think it is an important thing to do um in in this scene because i don't know people get obsessed with fandoms and and wanting to be dead there's like a very goth uh kind of uh aesthetic with the character of lydia and oh, yeah. um i think they did a good thing to, by saying like yeah no don't dead being dead is not good you, you right well, it's just another dead. it's just another form of living in a way like they still have to live and they still have lots of problems and stuff their problems are just different right um yeah i i think there's something to be said for that sure i don't know if they i like my I think they could have potentially put it more clearly or if they really wanted to have a message like that expanded on it. Um, but I think the inclusion is important. Uh, and just to, yeah, I, it, just to touch up on the character of Beetlejuice, like I agree with you. It is a little bit strange that he, this movie is called Beetlejuice because he kind of exists on his own and, and just like disrupts the story that we're already a part of, which is a story I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, he hams it up and he's someone you like for the fact that he is such a zany and uh kind of you know he's a ham but he's always a bad guy like he's horny he's crude he has no respect for personal space and um he's an obvious con man who's only in it for himself he might help at times uh but at no point are we ever really tempted to empathize with him or or really root for him that much outside of his impact benefiting the characters that we are rooting for he comes to the rescue but then he immediately tries to marry a child which is definitely repulsive so he's he's an anti-hero and a villain all in one he ends up being despite the uh uh like the geets what is their family name again uh, the deetses the deetses uh they had kind of maitland and deetses uh interesting <laughs> last names but yeah the deetses were kind of the villains but not really it was at, at, at the end of the day it, it ended up being beetlejuice and i think that that's an interesting way to uh structure your villain yeah it is weird because it's like we're gonna bring him in for only for measured amounts you know you know, he's like, we, we need to, we need him for just this one thing. And then we need to get him right back where he came from. Right. Um, yeah, I, I know it's, it's very odd and it, it makes you, 
I don't know. I think the switch there is jarring to say the least. Right. And I think, I don't know, it, it is something that makes this movie unique. It's totally different. It, it'd be one thing if they were like building towards like Beetlejuice is like the ultimate villain in, in the underworld or like or in the afterlife. Yeah. Uh, but instead they come at it from this really unconventional uh, Yeah, well, he's direction. just another danger they have to navigate in the world of the dead, which I think is great. You know, he's he's got his own personality and everything, but ultimately he's predictable and very like easy to manipulate. It's just that he can also do kind of do that to you too. And he's very, like very powerful in like a really mysterious way that like, but again, like you don't really know what he's going to do. Like he seems to have almost no agenda other than just to be chaotic. So like to have him just come in and just wreck havoc throughout the house and then like, sending people through the the ceilings and turning into snakes and stuff like it's just like it's so wacky and and i mean those are like some of the most intense parts of the movie and like clearly he has this unlimited power but like there's no real like what does he use it for why why is he there i don't know it's it's a uh it's definitely a weird dynamic for sure but okay uh i think we're ready to move on to our easter eggs joey do you got any cool easter eggs for us i got a couple so this is from wikipedia um, Beetlejuice's budget was uh, 15 million U.S. dollars, uh, and w- and just one million of that was given over to special effects work. Considering the scale and scope of the effects, which included stop motion, replacement animation, prosthetic makeup, puppetry, and blue screen, it was always Burton's intention to make the style sim- similar to B movies he grew up with as a child. And here's a quote from him. I wanted to make them look cheap and purposely fake looking, Burton remarked, which I think is very interesting because he he was going for that low budget feel, which like when you're watching a movie from the 80s, you're like, oh, well, you know, it looks like it's from the 80s. But that was the aesthetic he was going for. And some of those effects still look great. You know, there's not a high, uh, there's not like a high reliance on green screens or like computer animation. Like, cause that stuff gets really uncanny really fast. Like, if, I bet you, if we go back and watch Aladdin, even to like the the re uh, the redid uh, Aladdin movie, yeah, even today, with Will it Smith. would look yeah, it would look way creepier than it did when we watched <laughs> it last year. Like, it's it's like visual effects and computer animation degrade so quickly, um, and stuff like prosthetics and practical effects and stop animation doesn't. And so for him to like go for that like what quote unquote simpler look, he like nailed it as far as a timeless movie goes. So oh, it's yeah. pretty cool. No, it's so hard to think of any examples of of things that it didn't age well. For the most part, everything looked great. Like Barbara floating off the side of the bed when they were first getting adjusted to yeah. being dead. Like that looked great. Uh, I I also think the use of uh, stop motion in in the place of like special effects ages super well because it's almost creepier and more unsettling to see things shape shift or change using stop motion and and it doesn't necessarily look worse farther into the future because it retains that same quality of being kind of unnerving and unnatural like the way that they shape shifted their faces i think that that looked amazing it does it it it, looks really good and they're they're walking around with these things on their heads yeah it's (laughs) crazy and they look they look so weird Yeah. yeah it's very inventive and it's very it's very interesting um and like even like the sandworm scene or is this stuff where they're in that alter dimension with all the like clearly that's some sort of green screen effect. Definitely. But like 
it's supposed to look alien and weird. So like the worse it looks, the the, the more <laughs> the more that works. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. So and like the sandworms are clearly like some sort of stop motion, but they're like you know you can at that point they sell you so much on the movie that you your your suspension of disbelief is already so far gone that you can totally see something like that. So yeah, all of the stuff they do in this movie is really really good, and it's it's funny that he his intention was to make it look fake, and it looks better than movies that come out like recently. Okay, the next one is about a potential sequel that is a. Uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. So the, the story was that they were pitching was called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And the story follows the Dietz's family moving to Hawaii where Charles is developing a resort. They soon discover that his company is building on the burial ground of an ancient Hawaiian kahuna. Uh, the spirit comes back from the afterlife to cause trouble and Beetlejuice becomes a hero by winning a surf contest with magic. And Keaton and Ryder, uh, Winona Ryder, who plays Lydia, uh, agreed to do the film on the condition that Burton directed. Uh, but both he and Keaton became distracted with Batman Returns. And this is something they've been talking about for literally decades. About And people, various people have signed on and, and said that they were willing to do it. Everyone on the, like in the main cast has said, oh, yeah, maybe I'll do it. You know, um, But uh, ultimately, it's been the most recent development is in 2019. It was shelved. Uh, so we're still not going to get our sequel but they were like uh you know it's 26 it's 26 years later oh it's it's 27 years later you know like it, we can just do it but it's it's so much longer time <laughs> so it's definitely happening after the first movie There's right no right doubt. right <laughs> we can still do it yeah whatever so yeah uh this is something that a lot of people have been talking about i guess even in the industry uh but it has not gotten off the ground in any meaningful way uh despite all of that so as a newly minted diehard beetlejuice fan i'm okay with not having a sequel <laughs> i think this is the kind of movie that really would benefit from a sequel because of how deep that world feels you know it, you can do so much more with that show many different aspects of it bring in another character that's like similar to beetlejuice but slightly different you know maybe he's really charming but he's like very he's much more manipulative you know it's kind of like a yeah you know, like a like a Lucifer type. You know, where he's like, oh, like uh, like I'm like I'm so handsome and and suave and more and, clever. Yeah, and he right, tricks right. you. He's just as bad as Beetlejuice, but he's he hides his true motives. Right, and Beetlejuice hates him because he's not direct with his with his crudeness. You know, okay. Beetlejuice is like, I all my tricks are are straightforward, and you can see right through them. That makes me better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think I might appreciate that. What I'm always worried about with sequels would be something where it's like, and this is how Beetlejuice like got. His his like striped suit you know and like <laughs> this is how that's Beetle only Juice, if disney got a hold of it <laughs> this is yeah <laughs> this is how beetlejuice got his name like he was drinking right. orange juice and riding a beetle like yeah i just i that's the oh, kind that's of thing funny. that makes me cringe and then it, and it makes the original work less appealing right uh but yeah i think yeah maybe there's potential for it especially with how deep this world is i i definitely want to spend more time in the world of the dead and to see more of those hilarious characters like the shrunken head guy <laughs> uh, i have a couple i have a few easter eggs for you one of them it's more of just th these first two are just more just pointing something out um this movie is rated pg but beetlejuice what? definitely drops an f-bomb in there <laughs> 
<laughs> Which I, I was like, whoa, okay, this guy's clearly, this guy does not play by the rules. Yeah, he's not, he's not playing by the rules. This yes, is PG, and, but uh, we're going we're gonna to drop some F-bombs in there. Yeah, well, and just one, right? The 80s were a different time. I think you can get away with the just the one. And they got all of it. It's not obscured by music or other people talking. It's just Beetlejuice yelling and uh, dropping a big old F-bomb. So I thought that was worth you know yeah yeah pointing out i well also- like yeah the, like the ratings shifted actually so 1984 is when pg-13 was introduced um and this was like the first like uh time that they actually had something like that so up until that point pg to r was like the range basically right. so right. like monty python and the holy grail which is something that probably be pg-13 today is definitely was rated pg when it came out um, so like the, yeah, the, it was shifted a little bit, I guess you could say. So, I, and the rule is in a PG 13 movie, you can say one F bomb. So that's, that's the, uh, that's like the, the criteria. Right. 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 Sometimes I, though, like if you go, like, I don't remember what this what website it was, but sometimes you can find people that will like track the usage of like curse words in movies. Like they'll, um, uh, I would remember looking up like zombie land and they were like, and so like this is why it's rated R and it, like listed out all the things in descriptive order. And that movie is so funny. It's just hilarious reading <laughs> out how they like use all these things. It's it's very, I'm clever. sure Tarantino's films are a riot to look oh, at the yeah. reasons why they're rated R. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's like 10 heads explode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so another thing, not re- I don't know. It's kind of an Easter egg, but um, the whole like being uh, spending an eternity haunting a house may not be the worst thing ever for, um, Adam and Barbara because they voluntarily took a staycation anyways. So ah. we got the impression that they were that they were homebodies. I felt like that was intentional, you know? That was part of the, the whole deal. They were going to stay in that house anyways. Right, well, like, it was confusing because I thought they had just moved in, but I guess they were just like trying to like enjoy their house, you know? Yeah, it was interesting because it it, they definitely had a like renovation feel and it, it was... It's like the house definitely need renovating, so it seemed kind of like they were and 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 someone uh, Jane I think was her name yeah Jane kept trying to sell the house like yeah kept trying to selling their house while they were still living in it telling them telling her that she they didn't want to sell the house I (laughs) guess if you're a realtor in a tiny town like that then there's nothing else for you to do (laughs) well and also being like well you can't have kids oops like okay jane like (laughs) yeah real villain of the story jane right uh so yeah anyway so i just thought that was a neat little like to connect um Mm. so this was this next one is something that amazon x-ray told me and which is a really cool feature i think it, it really improves the movie watching experience especially when you're taking notes during the movie and you constantly pause and you see really cool stuff pop up. So uh, during the sequence where Adam and Barbara enter Juno's office and see her speaking to a recently deceased football team. I love those guys, by the way, uh, a movie theater <laughs> coach. <laughs> uh, Dar- when she's coach, I don't think we survived the crash. I'm sorry. <laughs> when she's speaking to uh, the football team, a movie theater full of ghosts can be seen through Juno's office window. When the film was released in theaters, the scene created the illusion that the living and dead audiences could see each other. Among the ghosts in the audience are a red skeleton and a green skeleton, which is apparently a reference to Tim Burton's later movie, Mars Attacks. Uh, There's a woman with red hair and two men in suits 
with Ray-Ban style sunglasses, which is a reference to the Blues Brothers, which I thought was such a cool concept because, you know, at this point, we're like kind of deep into the world of the afterlife and how we kind of coexist, the living and the dead coexist. And then now we it apparently is true that the undead or sorry, the, the, the dead have their own movie theaters as well. And they're watching the movie, too. That's so yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah like why not you know it crosses over so much they could have yeah that's really cool that's like that's a great uh little addition My, there. Yeah, i the, would definitely want to copy i that. will say i wish they had done they'd made this a little clearer because if i actually paused it and looked and it kind of it's kind of like not really that well done because they're not moving they don't look like the other dead in the movie like they just look like mm. a bunch of props so i mean i guess people watching a movie are pretty still but it didn't look like people it looked like maybe you know storage but for for like props of dead people but um i still think that the concept there is really cool and having them watching a movie and you're watching a movie and it it all ties together so well so i thought that was great and the last easter egg was a um this rhyme that i again at amazon x-ray showed me when lydia is like her costume changes when she's about to get married to Beetlejuice. She's wearing a red dress, which is mm. uh, the costumes in this movie were great. And I think that red dress is a great look, but apparently there's like a, uh, it's like bad luck to get married in a red dress. Uh, and they said that there's like a common saying, it's like married in red, better off dead, which I think Ooh, is good for this movie. Spooky. Yeah. Especially because of Lydia's propensity for death. They, uh, but I also, um, I read a bunch of the other, like, I, I, I googled Married in Red, Better Off Dead, and saw all the other different, like, wedding rhymes, and there's, like, Married in Yellow, Should Have Married a Better Fellow, or something, and I'm like, okay, basically, <laughs> if you don't get married in white, it means it's bad, so it's really not right, that right. interesting, but I think that this particular rhyme fits with Beetlejuice because it's dead. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That definitely feels intentional. Uh, another thing that was definitely intentional was there the songs that were in this movie, which I loved. And especially even though there's definitely the the horror kind of soundtrack that goes along with this movie, there's so much Harry Belafonte in this movie. Yeah. Four different songs by him, and they're all so energetic and fun and have this island feel that is almost you know it feels just as otherworldly because it's being played in connecticut you know so it's yeah it's so out of place uh and really gives i mean obviously the uh um deo song is the the Mm. first one that comes to mind because it's it's the song from the dinner scene and um it's very iconic scene i think everybody thinks of this movie when they hear that song uh, even people who haven't seen it, I knew this song was in there without even having to see Beetlejuice. And um, but I think having these songs throughout the movie gives it a particular feel, and I and I think that's a really out there choice uh, that comes across really well. Yeah, that scene where they're all dancing to Deo is such a. It's like the most famous scene. I think I've seen that maybe ten or twenty times before without even actually seeing the movie. And it's it's so it's so funny, but also scary at yes. the same time. And um the like the looks on the actors' faces in that scene where they're like they're like simultaneously into it and also like horrified of what they're doing. You know, like they're just like, What is happening to me? Uh, dancing while being confused. That's pretty good stuff. Yes. And it's yeah, and then at the end, like they have like the shrimp thing turn into hands and grab them and then and throw them around. Over it's very creative. It's it's so interesting and it's like 
it's such a like gives such a like a character to our ghosts, but also um, like gives you something totally unique as a scary element, something that you would never see in any other movie and wouldn't work unless your ghosts were sympathetic, you know, because it is so whimsical in a way. Well, yes, <laughs> although I could see like a darker version of this where they're right. actually trying to kill the dinner guests. Um, like a, if a very much darker version of Beetlejuice existed, uh, where it would be a lot more like the reservoir dog stuck in the middle with you scene where it's like you mm. start to vibe with it and you're like, hey, this is kind of fun. And then you see something horrific happen to them, and you're like, "Oh no, I was caught enjoying this," and then now it's turned into this. Um, I'm glad it wasn't that, but I my morbid curiosity makes me be like, "Oh man," but I kind of do want to see the that that version of this. Um, but yeah, yeah there's yeah. four songs: "Deo," "Sweetheart from Venezuela," "Man Smart," "Woman Smarter," and uh, "Jump in the Line," which is the one at the end. They're they're all so good, so energetic. I I actually I've been listening to them on repeat all day today on Spotify. Um, Harry Belafonte is super talented, and also I think probably an inspiration for the potential sequel uh, to go Hawaiian mm. uh, because the music see, would I still see. definitely fit. Yeah, well, the, the rest of the score was uh, conducted by Danny Elfman, who's a really famous American composer. He's done all sorts of stuff, a lot of stuff with Tim Burton too um like uh frank and weenie and uh, nightmare before christmas um but yeah he's i mean he was he did uh raimi spider-man and spider-man 2 um he did the mission impossible series uh he's like one of the best known uh composers in um in hollywood and he comes through for sure in this movie too so yeah solid score throughout this movie agreed Okay, now let's move on to our quotable moments, and I've got a couple of quotes for us. This first one uh, is from when Charles is on the phone with Maxie. Maxie, have I not always made you money? I think that's the only real question here. Well, Charles, nobody made me money like you. I mean, before your nerves went, you were a demon. So I think that the word choice here is very intentional in a world of ghosts and ghouls and uh, exorcism. They called him, they said he was a demon, you know, and mm. um, part of this movie, you know, obviously Beetlejuice is the villain, but also um, capitalism is the villain as well. <laughs> <laughs> the there it is. The dead just want to be at peace, but the living want to make money. And that's mm. what's driving their want for uh, disrupting the, uh, the peace of the ghosts that live in this house. So I yes. I think that, that that saying calling him a demon is like, hmm, maybe the living and the dead aren't so different. We're not so different, you and I. <laughs> uh, yeah, so maybe this, like what he says uh, uh, before your nerves went out. Um, so maybe this is like an overlook hotel type situation where like he went out to the country to try to calm himself because he's like, he's like, r like real anxious or something. And so he's like out there to try to like, make it all so calm but of course like that doesn't happen because his house is haunted windows are being broken by his his wife's weird skits uh sculptures <laughs> he's trying to enjoy like bird watching and stuff he's always distracted yeah I, I think what's interesting because like it puts this extra twist on the story of the haunted house too because it's like if the house was actually haunted you know wouldn't you try and like make money off of that like i feel like that that temptation is definitely there especially in like a capitalist society like we live in where like 
oh, th- I have something unique here. There's got to be a way I can leverage that to my own advantage. Right. You know, and like normally you're like, oh my god, it's so scary because it's so haunted and everything. But like, there when you when you're telling that story from the point of view of the people inside the house, they're either trying to escape the haunting. Or they're like, well, this is just what happens. You know, like there's no like question of like, there's no self-awareness to say, oh, this is a unique opportunity, you know? And and so it, it like, it brings that whole extra twist into it of like, you know, uh, your, your human characters are not the sympathetic ones and how would they react realistically in a house that is haunted? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think that's really interesting. When we listed the genre for this movie, we included the word American and that's not just mm. because it takes place in Connecticut. You know, the motivations of these characters are definitely American as well. Um, you know, and I think you, I can throw in that the sequel is going to take place in Hawaii, also in America, you know, so very, Whoa. very much an American play the mind blowing apart. Uh, uh, sound effect. <laughs> um, okay, so this next quote is from Juno, and this is when this is like the scene where they come in and she's talking to the football team. Never trust the living. We cannot have a routine haunting like yours provide proof that there is existence beyond death. And this is the scene I was talking about earlier where I kind of wish she had said one more sentence <laughs> where she was like, because, <laughs> but, right. but I also, I, I definitely agree that, uh, you know, there's, they, they do just enough, you know, they don't have to explain every little detail of this world and, um, they can leave you wanting more. Uh, they don't have to get caught up in all the details of like, this is exactly why, um, you know, it sounds like if they were to explain that, it would read like a stereo uh, instruction book, or what was it? A stereo, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, like stereo, stereo instructions, instructions I think, is what they say. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I don't know. That that is one of my main problems. But I also, after this discussion, it's less of a problem to me. Yeah, I think it's interesting how how much they explain or what they what they choose to explain but i think it's so i think it's done really well because it gives you just enough to spark your imagination and to try to think about what the consequences are and stuff and this like gives you a hint at like oh like you know there's a there's a bigger agenda there's some politics going on in the uh in the uh the undead world you know and we need to make sure we're careful with where we tread and like this could blow up into a bigger problem or whatever so um yeah, although that doesn't really happen, the, the story does keep itself contained to just Beetlejuice. It's uh, it still like gives you that hint that there's just something greater going on, and that's like I don't know. There's something to be said about doing that, you know, because like it's great to have high stakes in a movie, but at a certain point, it just loses all of its ability to grab you. Right, right. Because if they were to say like, if humans found out, then it would end all existence or something, and suddenly right, we're right. battling and then suddenly to that's save the, the world. That's what you're trying to stop. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like it's, yeah, it, it's just too abstract right. for most things. So like building to that, you really have to earn it. And in this case, just teasing it gets you just helps build up that world, which I think is really powerful. I think that's well put. Okay, Joey, I think you know what time it is. It is time. For us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper. Okay, so I want to talk about where Beetlejuice gets his name. So in the movie, his name is spelled a couple different ways. Uh, the one spelling that you see on the TV and then how the Maitlands actually actually say it in the subtitles is B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E. Um, and of course, the title on the uh, on the movie is B E E T L E J 
U-I-S-C, uh, or I-C-E, sorry. So uh, they're both pronounced the same way. One of them is a star in the um, Orion-like constellation. And actually, Michael McDowell, who screen wrote the movie, did say that's where the movie came from and was actually very surprised that people like made that connection. So so even yeah. when it's... Okay, because didn't they pronounce it Beetlegeist too? That's wrong. It's The star is pronounced Beetlejuice. It's spelled B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, am I misremembering it? I feel like they were... No, no, they say yeah. that. And that was something I wish they had gotten to more. I think... So this is kind of an interesting bit of like mythology for Beetlejuice the character is like he can't say his own name right and he's trying to like he plays with these games he he does these really bad charades with Lydia to try and get her to say his name correctly (laughs) but like it's like it's like really ironic in a way that I wish they had played up more for him to have a name that's not spelled not pronounced the way it's spelled you know what I mean so like uh, the, it's like a, it's like so close. Like I can I can spell it out for you. You know I can write it down, but it does that's not gonna help you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, it was interesting because he was trying to like protect his name from everyone knowing it. I guess because that would mean it could be abused, right? Because no, it, no, no, no. I don't think that's what it is. I think I think he was lying. I think he was just. I think he can't say his name and he can't explain why. Oh, I got you. Like it's against whatever rule he loses powers or like he sure. physically can't do it's it. It's part or of something the game. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. He's like he literally can't say his own name, and he and I don't know why he doesn't tell her that directly. But I don't think that was truthful. I don't think he's being truthful in that moment. I don't think. We no, I think that's word. totally true. And isn't wouldn't that explain why he says Beetlegeist because he can't actually say his own name? Does he say that in the commercial? Doesn't he refer to himself as? Beetle he never Geist? says his own name in the commercial. So I was wa- I was because I was watching it like waiting for him to say just call Beetlejuice yeah. three times, but he spells out he spells it out like the star Beetlegeist. Um, so yeah, he d- but he doesn't ever actually say it, you know. Which I was like, well, that's a missed opportunity. Like at that point, <laughs> I was like, why didn't he say it? That's how he get it to work, right? But uh, but uh, later on, you learn mm. that like he actually can't say it. So yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all part of his like it's another it's another trick it's another uh, ploy that he's got yeah you know? well I, I do like that power. it is there is something creepy about having rules where even after I watched this movie I was like oh man I, I got to make sure I don't say Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. three times because I'm like I'm here by myself he'll get me you know? <laughs> yeah yeah um, but then you just have to say it three more times and then you can get him back that's true anyway so. Uh, it's not really. Sh- I'm not really sure why that this uh, this name was chosen at, uh, for the character. There's a couple. There's a bunch of different theories. One of them that's probably the most realistic is that it's um, it's just funny. And uh, there's actually a, this whole like story about Tim Burton fighting for the name Beetlejuice because the executives wanted to call it House Ghosts, and he thought that was super lame. And then he actually he actually like uh, proposed some like joke name, and then they were like, "Yeah, that's great, let's do that." And he's like, "No, no, no, that was just a joke. Like we're going with Beetlejuice." And he like put his foot down. He's like, "I'm not doing this unless we call it Beetlejuice." Um, and oh, yeah, no, no, no. Studio- it was yeah, yeah, because originally I think I read this too. It was like they wanted to call the movie like 
ghost hosts or something like that. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was house ghosts. House and ghosts. Then he wanted, and then he he said um, scared sheetless is what yes, he wanted to say. that's what it was. And then they were like, that's a great idea. And then he's like, no, I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They hated the name Beetlejuice, but he was adamant about it. And that was from the original script that they had done before they had edited anything. Um, so there's a couple of speculations about where this name comes from. First, like Beetlejuice is a red star that shines against the black of night sky. So it's sort of a doorway into the abyss. And Beetlejuice is someone you meet early in your journey through death, which like, okay. But like, there's lots of other stars that fall that fall into that description. So I don't know if that's really that compelling. Mm. Um, you know, it's not like that star specifically is not a gateway star or anything. It's not like, like there was some mythology about it being something special. The only special thing about it is that it's like the right hand of Orion. So it sometimes it's been symbolized as like a, the loss of limbs or something. That's like a, a part of um, a mythology, but that doesn't really come up in this movie. Um, but they, there is kind of an interesting element where the Beetlejuice's old boss is named Juno who is the like is like a name of a Roman goddess, uh, like the the Roman version of the Greek goddess Hera, so Jupiter's wife, Zeus's wife, um, and mother of Mars and Vulcan, um, and so like you could say that he's part of a he's the he was the right hand that was been severed of an important uh, member of this hierarchy, right? She's clearly high up in this world, and so but she's not Orion. Orion is a different. Um, mythical creature. I, I I was confused when I was reading about this. He uh, kept saying that he was a giant hunter. I don't know if that means he was a hunter <laughs> that hunted giants or if he was just a really big hunter. I don't, I don't know. I, I could not figure out which one was which. So um, maybe that you can interpret it as like he's the right hand of someone important and um, something like that uh, or like uh, the right hand of like a bigger, scarier entity, which is Orion. Um, I, I don't know. But there is something there. It's not really clear, um, but there is a, a little bit there. So. so yeah, but I what I'm hearing is the setup for diving deeper into the Beetlejuice universe, where in the sequel we could find out who Juno's boss is, right? And then mm. there's even more powerful beings at play here, and and maybe even lead to the origin story of Beetlejuice, where it's like he did something bad, and then this more powerful being decided, well, here's your punishment. Here's all these rules you have to follow, and if you can. If you can be a good enough person, a good enough boy to convince someone to marry you, then you're free of your curse, you know, like it, where right. you could kind of, um, although that definitely does sound a little bit more like the, how Beetlejuice got his like face paint and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not what it's I It's a like. little too much explaining. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't know. It, it's, um, there, there's, there's, there might be something there. I know they were talking about like in a sequel, maybe they would name the, another character after a different star or something, but it's a, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's kind of loose in this interpretation, I guess. It is interesting that it was named after the star and then they kind of changed his name and now it's kind of like it has both spellings in a way. Um, so I think that's kind of cool. Well, neat. I had no idea. I just thought Beetle Geist, Beetle Juice. I was like, okay, random. <laughs> Another like kind of cool Easter egg is Beetle Juice is uh is referenced in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well, um, and that's kind of how I learned how it was spelled because I remember reading it and then listening to the audiobook and being like, wait, they're saying Beetle Juice, and that's that star that has the G in it. Wait a second, <laughs> it's all connected. <laughs> 
Okay, well, as we do at the end of every episode, it's time to deliver our ratings, uh, and I'll go first. I give this movie an invitation to my next dinner party so I can <laughs> entertain all my guests. Perfect. Will you show off your ugly sculptures? Yes, my ugly art, which I actually do have plenty of in my apartment. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> and we can have shrimp cocktails that'll really grab you. Yeah, straight from the bucket. <laughs> I give this movie um, on replay for the next 125 years. Wow. Yeah. Wait, why is it 125 years? That was how long they were like doomed to haunt that house until they can move on to something else, I think. Uh, oh, okay. Nice. That was like their that was their tenants. I do think that this movie is wa- is worth watching during October for the, at least the mm. next 125 years because I that's how long I think the special effects will hold up. They're great. They're great. I tell you what. They're really great. <laughs> okay. That's going to wrap it up for Beetlejuice. Thanks to Nick Heredia who actually wrote our theme music. He was the one who asked us to do this episode. I've been friends with him for so long and uh, he's always been a big Beetlejuice fan. And this is, I'm, I can't wait to share this movie with him because I know he loves it so much and I'm glad that he recommended it to us. And um, so yeah, thanks Nick. Shout out to Nick. So Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next, we're kicking off Chris Tucker Month with a strong contender, Rush Hour. That's right. We're doing a series. Long on... teased yes. Chris Tucker month. Yes, we actually talked about I this. Think we, I think we teased that 50 episodes ago. <laughs> we did. <laughs> and we're finally going to do it. We're going to talk. We're going to watch some Chris Tucker movies. We're starting off with Rush Hour. So look forward to that on our very next episode. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle is at AffableChat on all three, or you can send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel where we upload videos, sometimes not about movies. We are also live on Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. Currently, at the time of recording, we are five followers away from affiliate. And everyone's been saying it. Once we get affiliate, that's, that's just the beginning. We're really, we're really <laughs> building over there. Every Tuesday night, live, 7 p.m., twitch.tv. Streaming very powerfully. Very powerfully. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, twitch.tv slash affable chat. Come talk to us. That's the best. I always tell people that's the best way. You want to talk to me? Come talk to me live on affable we're chat. really putting the chat in affable chat. That's right. Come join the chat. And uh, I think that is going to do it for this episode on Beetlejuice. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.